What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here with you on another episode here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're doing it in potentially multiple ways. Of course, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can get 40% off of your first year's annual subscription or, of course, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million, jump on the Duncan Holder podcast. But uh, Jeff and I are honored because this guy has done more work than maybe half of the civilized world these these last uh, several, several months. Uh, We're honored to have our own... Dane Brugler, NFL draft expert here at The Athletic. And uh, Jeff, you will appreciate this before we jumped on. I've, I'm already pressing him about Arch Manning. I want to get like eight <laughs> years down the line, not just Jamar Chase. We're talking Arch Manning here. Yeah, he's going to, he's already projected probably on Dane's big board for whatever that is. What is it, 2028 or something? Uh, big board for Arch Manning, but I'm sure. Uh, he is going to uh, be on Dane's radar screen at some point, just for the last name alone, uh, and playing quarterback. But um, no, Dane, we're we're so happy to have you on. Um, I know you've been busy working these last few weeks. Do you get downtime after the draft? I'm curious about that. Like, what your work schedule? Does it drop off a cliff and you take a little break, or do you just dive right into the next year's class? No, I, I do need to force myself to take a break because it's uh, I, I'd burn out pretty quickly if I, if I didn't. So, um, you know, there's at the same time though, I don't want to take too much of a break because there's only so many hours in a day, so many uh, days in a year, and you know, the, there's always more players to watch and guys prepare for next year, and it's going to be interesting with just the current state of sports and we just don't know what's what the fall is going to look like and so uh you know I'm not sure what this uh what this process is going to be but just for me I spend I try to spend most of May just you know spending time with family reintroducing myself to my kids uh you know that kind of thing and then uh June is when I really start to dive in make calls uh watch some tape and then um, I really, I think right around July is when I, or July 4th is when I start posting, you know, these are top 10 quarterbacks going into next year and go position by position. So, uh, those will be up on the athletic probably, yeah, first week in July. And Dane, you talk about making calls and this, that, and the other, and that's what a lot of scouts and head coaches were basically relegated to this draft season. Uh, from those that you've talked to, what was the process like? for them and what was the process like for you because you're used to going to pro days and you're used to Mm -hmm. doing these other things and so are coaches what was the process like for them and for you well it's funny because I I talked to some scouts who loved it uh, because instead of being on the road uh, because they're on the road all of the fall uh, going campus to campus and then in uh, January they're doing the all-star circuit so they're going to Mobile and uh, they're in, in Tampa, St. Pete, and all these different all-star games. And then February's, uh, you know, they're back at facility for pre-combine meetings and the combine. And then March, all of March is pro days. And so uh, this is a little different for them. They got to spend the month of March at home and spend time with family. And 
some of them I talked to felt a little more empowered this time around because their opinion, they, they felt like it was a little more uh, important to the process. They were getting more calls from uh, the GM or the director or whoever uh, asking about, okay, when you were on campus, what did uh, the trainer say? And, you know, and all this is in their reports, but um, you know, without having the pro days and more importantly is the, those 30 visits, um, not having those 30 visits. Well, in some teams, I know like team, you know, the Titans, they knocked out, I think 10 of their 30, which is the most I heard. Um, and some teams didn't get any, I don't think the saints had very many 30 visits in. So it's just without having those 30 visits, I think that was the biggest, uh, missing part of the process. Uh, you know, cause sometimes guys will go for the 30 visit They'll leave and you cross their name off because it just wasn't a fit culture wise, scheme wise, personality wise. Um, it just, you know, with the coaches and the assistants and the trainers and everything else. That's also where you have a chance for some of the non combine guys to go to the facility and get some medicals um, done because without. Without those 30 visits, a lot of these non-combine guys, we don't have updated medicals. And that's why we saw um, a decline in non-combine players drafted uh, this year. So uh, it was definitely a different process, but uh, you know, I think it put maybe a little more emphasis on the tape, more so than the testing. Um, and it just it felt like it was a little incomplete, but it was, you know, still still as long as we had the combine in, you know, I still felt like it was, uh, you know, a process where we were able to have most of the testing and some of the interviews done and things like that. So it wasn't wasn't too crazy different. Yeah, Dane, we heard from Jeff Ireland uh, from the Saints, the assistant GM from the Saints, of course, who oversees their college draft. And he he said that they had so much of the hay in the barn uh, on his mm. staff that it really was an advantage for them. They they felt like 90%, 95% of their work was done almost after the combine, and, and they felt like they got ahead. I, I'm curious for our listeners, who obviously a lot of them follow the Saints, uh, what is your take on Jeff Ireland? Uh, you know, obviously the Saints have done very well since he's come on board in the, in the draft. They had a historic 2017 draft class with Lattimore, Ramchek, Kamara in that group. Um, what is your take on him as far as a, a talent evaluator? And have you been surprised at just how well he's done in this kind of second go round um, in New Orleans? Yeah, and you know, obviously he's bounced around. Um, you know, I, I remember him, um, and I've talked with people close to the Cowboys who worked with him in Dallas, and you know, they um, some of them had you know good things to say about him, some some didn't, which is you know to be expected. Um, I think that. When you look at his track record at Miami and now New Orleans, um, you know he's he's a guy that has has done it in a lot of different capacities. Um, whether it's been you know kind of you know he's been on the road a little bit, he's been more in the office, he's he's dealt one on one with these players, and so I think he brings um, you know a good experience, and that's that's something in scouting. Experience means so much. That's uh, you know the more you've done, the more you've seen. That just brings uh, you know more to uh, the decision making process and helps you rule out guys. It helps you understand what what you're trying to build and what's going to fit in that culture. So I, I think he's I think he's done a nice job, and I think you know that's uh, especially when you consider the Saints have been a team that have maybe gone more towards quality over quantity in terms of not being afraid to trade draft picks and be aggressive and. 
I, I think there's, you know, it's there's no right or wrong way to draft. And some teams will stockpile draft picks. And, you know, you look at the Vikings. They, I thought they had a pretty good draft this past uh, this past draft. And they had, what, 15 draft picks. And not all those guys are going to pan out, obviously. But, you know, they went for more of the, the, the quantity approach, where the Saints have been more of uh, the quality and gone with, uh, you know, using multiple draft picks to go up and get maybe a better player, uh, at least on their board. So I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. I, I, I think there is certainly merit in being aggressive and going and if you trust your board, you trust your scouting process, then sure, go get the better player. Uh, now you're putting more eggs in one basket where if that player doesn't work out, it's, uh, you know, uh, potential for blowback. But uh, no, I, I applaud them being aggressive and um, I, I think that Jeff Ireland's definitely been a big part of that. Well, Dane, it's funny you bring up the Vikings because the Saints traded four picks <laughs> to the Vikings to help add to uh, our colleagues in Minnesota their workload. So I'm sure they were really thrilled with the Saints uh, while we got to kind of kick back a little bit uh, on day three of the draft. But let's kind of dive into some of these prospects. Of course, the Saints had four draft picks. We'll get also your thoughts later on in this podcast on uh, some of the undrafted guys that maybe kind of stuck out to you that maybe, of course, in this compressed offseason, it's going to be kind of like 2011 when undrafted rookies are going to probably have a challenging time making teams in the league. And then we'll dive into some LSU talk later on in this pod. But let's start off with the obvious Cesar Ruiz, uh, Michigan center. And Dane, it's a it's a, a position group specifically that I've been reporting about since the combine where uh, I was told uh, flat out that Larry Warford is basically a target for an upgrade. And it seems like they've done that uh, by drafting Ruiz, who uh, plays center, plays guard. And then, uh, you know, just your evaluation of him. I know in, in the Beast and in your big board, you had him pretty neck and neck with someone we're familiar with, with Lloyd Cushenberry. But uh, what do you feel like Ruiz brings to the table? And which position do you probably feel like he fits better with with the Saints? Well, and I was surprised to see it mostly just because I, I, I Ruiz to me is best at center, and, and obviously with McCoy having such a great rookie year, um, uh, but two players that have guard center experience. So I, I think that's going to be interesting to see how they work that out long term. But uh, Ruiz is a is a really good player, and last summer someone. Uh, a scout put him on my radar because uh, I hadn't really done any work on him. He was being a true sophomore, uh, entering his junior year. I hadn't done a ton of work on him. And then um, I watched what he did as a sophomore and thought, okay, this guy definitely has a bright future. And when I did my way too early interior offensive lineman rankings, he was you know, top three for me. And then throughout the season, he same thing, him and Lloyd Cushenberry, they were – yeah, they were neck and neck, and I think Cushenberry, he finished one for me over Ruiz, but they were literally back-to-back in my overall rankings. Uh, with Ruiz, you have a player who, he's not the most technically sound guy, uh, but I think that's going to come with, with time and uh, more experience, but he moves really well. Um, you know, He doesn't fall step. He's very uh, flexible, very fluid. Uh, the body control is something that uh, really stands out as it's not he's not making these forced movements. Um, he understands angles, um, and when he uses his feet, he can really achieve those angles and cut off uh, some of those rush lanes 
or uh, you know shield uh, some of the run lanes for his running back. So uh, really like the movement patterns that he works with. It's really efficient. It's really uh, it's very natural to him. It doesn't look like he's you know forcing it and trying too hard. So while he's not the most fundamentally sound guy uh, right now, I think that'll continue to come as he uh, continues to grow. But the movement skills, the body type. Uh, the power that he offers, uh, the core power—that's something that you just really can't teach. It just—it's something that I think we saw in him at a young age, and uh, it has that guard center experience. He played guard as a as a freshman before the last two years, uh, starting every game at center. And uh, the coaches speak very highly of him uh, as a guy who uh, you know is stood out as a leader, as someone that the teammates really enjoyed uh, playing with. So. Certainly understand the intrigue with Ruiz as a top 25 pick. Yeah, Sean Payton actually told me, Dane, that he thinks Ruiz will be a team captain in about three years. One of the things I found interesting in him is he's only 20 right now, so you would project him to, I assume, have some upside as well just because he's such a young player. Um, In round three, the Saints took Zach Bond. This is a a, kind of a projection pick, and I want to get your thoughts on him because the Saints view him uh, as a linebacker type off the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. He played a lot of edge, uh, I assume, in that role at Wisconsin. But uh, do, you, do you see comparisons between him? A lot of people compared him to Joe Schobert, who made a very similar uh, transition to the NFL. And I know that you like this pick. You, you had it as your favorite pick of the Saints class. Uh, and I want to get your thoughts on why you like that pick so much. Well, if you told me that Saints drafted – um, Zach Bond, and I didn't know anything else, I would have said, oh, wow, uh, 24 might have been a little early, but he's a good player. I mean, I, I, that would not have, it would not have like been a huge shock if Bond would have went in the first round and been uh, someone that in the top 25 teams considered. Because, uh, yeah, and I, I think that's the biggest issue why he fell uh, was just the projection. Because in, in, in Wisconsin's 3-4, he was a rush upfield player. That That's what he did. Um, and there were a few times where he would drop, but for the most part, he was getting upfield towards the quarterback. They'd rush him from different angles, and he's just—he's not going to be that type of player in the NFL. Uh, he, he's six two and a half, two thirty-eight, uh, but a really good athlete. But he's someone that you want playing off the ball. Uh, he's a stack linebacker, and you don't want to completely remove that that blitzing element from uh, from what he does because he was so good at it. You just have to be a little more uh, judicial with how you allow him to uh, get after the quarterback, um, you know, and doing it uh, with different uh, different from different angles, different sides of the ball, um, you know, just uh, doing delays, things like that, uh, maybe some some twists, and getting him involved in different ways because uh, you don't want to completely er- eliminate that from what he does because he did it so well. Uh, but I think that's part of the appeal with Bond is you just don't know what he's going to do on any given play because he has the athleticism to do so much. If you want him to drop, there are times where you throw on the tape and he's covering an Ohio State receiver um, out of the slot uh, on a kind of a wheel route down the sideline. Did that just fine. Looked fluid. Speed wasn't a question. Um, it has the range where he can do it. And so just uh, understanding what teams are doing from different different depths um, of the field will be the biggest learning curve for him. Uh, now, he had that diluted sample at the combine. Uh, that came out and um, I don't think that was a huge uh, red flag against him where teams just kind of started to eliminate him from their board. 
but uh, you know he did have a few immature moments when he arrived uh, at Wisconsin. Not a bad kid, just as someone who uh, you know took a little bit of time to mature, and he's been open about that. Um, you know, I've talked to him about that, and how it, it just took him a little bit, and you know he he missed all of 2017 with an injury, and you know the turning point for him was before his junior year. And that's where he really buckled in and said okay I need a lock in here and this is what we need to do and the last two years he's been a, a really big part of that Wisconsin defense so eager to see how he does at this projection uh, as more of that stack linebacker um, and I think he can be uh, you know sky's the limit for how good this guy can be because the athleticism and uh, the this competitive energy that he plays with. Dane Brugler our NFL draft expert here at the Athletic joining us right here on the Dunk and Holder podcast. Back half of the podcast we'll go into some of the other Saints picks, maybe some of the undrafted guys, and maybe look at the LSU guys who have been in the draft and will be going into the draft in 2021. We'll be doing that on the back half of this podcast. But there are certain times when you don't want to have to go to the doctor's office to get help for a medical condition. If you're dealing with a condition like ED, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get treatment when you need it on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship you your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to just adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel at any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Now, Dane, obviously the Saints moved back into round three aggressive nature as we're used to seeing and they've obviously did this multiple times in this draft and Adam Troutman from Dayton uh, from Dayton seemed like a player almost too good to be true I mean he was uh, number 56 on your big board top tight end a sneaky need for the Saints I likened it way back to when uh, the Saints had Jeremy Shockey and David Thomas and went out and drafted Jimmy Graham and he was kind of their third option for a year and then really kind of jumped off the charts obviously the Saints had Jared Cook and Josh Hill and Trotman could be that guy uh, obviously small school guy but uh, you you weren't alone in feeling like this could be uh, a player that could come in and play for the Saints just your thoughts on kind of his journey because it's kind of a obviously a different journey when he's playing D3 and then still goes day two in the draft. Well, I really enjoyed um, talking to Adam over the process because uh, someone over the summer talking to someone about some of these small school guys, um, Adam's name came up and so threw on some of his tape and I was immediately just intrigued by what I was seeing. And I uh, actually did a story on him back in September um, where I was able to sit down with him and just talk to him about his journey. And 
he, he never caught a football until he was a, a redshirt freshman at uh, at Dayton. He's always the quarterback. He grew up in a small town in northern Michigan. Uh, him and his brothers were the only quarterbacks in the system. And so when his older brother uh, graduated, he became the starting quarterback. When he graduated, his younger brother took over for him and uh, goes to Dayton as uh, as a as a quarterback. And as during his redshirt year, he was he was a quarterback. But then he kind of looked around and said, "Okay, I, I want to get on the field." saw the the depth chart at tight end was a little weak and so he uh said okay let's try this went to the coaches they they uh, had him run routes for about five minutes and they said all right take take your green jersey off you're you're now a tight end and he the last three years led the team in receiving uh each of the last three years he was the conferences offensive player of the year and yeah i mean look in the pfl the pioneer league in the fcs they don't they don't play a lot of big time football there's not a lot of big time recruits that come out of big time prospects that come out of that conference but uh and that was the biggest thing that you worried about was okay yeah he's kind of dominating these guys but what's that going to look like against nfl competition so he goes to the senior bowl and it doesn't slow down for him he is uh getting open at will uh, doing a nice job separating at the top of routes against safeties, and what I saw in person at the at the Senior Bowl really kind of clinched it for me. And it's kind of like the Cushenberry Ruiz conversation. I had Troutman and Cole Komet uh, almost back to back. Komet ended up getting drafted higher, uh, but Troutman, I thought, you know, they the Saints got a steal where they got him, and uh, the combine might have hurt him just a little bit running a four eight, um, but his three cone uh, a six seven eight. For a 255-pound tight end is ridiculous. So uh, that 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 might have uh, kind of offset, and it was kind of the opposite of Cole Komet, who ran a really good 40, but then his three cone was terrible. So interesting juxtaposition with those two guys. Uh, but I'm eager to watch Troutman. Um, how quickly he can he adapt? Uh, how will he be used as, as a rookie in New Orleans? Uh, really happy for him going to that situation. I thought he was a top 75 pick all day. And so for the Saints to get him where they were able to get him, uh, a tremendous value at that point. And in the, the final day of the draft, of course, the Saints did not have a pick. They traded all their picks away to move up uh, to get Troutman uh, on day two. And, of course, I've reported on this, how the Saints uh, kind of orchestrated a deal to get back into round seven and take Tommy Stevens, a quarterback from Mississippi State, who – I use that term loosely because I really think the Saints view him as an athlete. Uh, some of the people I talk to in the organization think he might end up being a tight end one day. Who knows if he can make that conversion. Your thoughts on Stevens, Dane? And also, you, you know, it's kind of blown up since my story has run that the Saints uh, violated, I guess, this mm-hmm. kind of unwritten rule about negotiating with uh these undrafted free agents before the end of the draft, along with the Panthers. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, how common that is. Is it something everybody does around the league? And um, how how severe a penalty it might be for the Saints uh, and Panthers if the league comes down on them. Well, and that was that was the irony. It was such a great, great piece. Uh, it was a great look behind the curtain because every team does that. Uh, and it, it, it's just how it works. It's kind of, uh, you know, it, it's illegal. But uh, you know what? What team doesn't do that? Because you're you're trying to recruit these players, um, and uh, you know it's it's one of those things where once you start getting in the sixth sixth round, and you know that's where a lot of scouts start making calls to players and say, hey, we might take you here in the seventh, but if we don't, we really want to bring you in, and you know you start. 
you know, you talk with your cap guy, you talk with, uh, you know, your the position coach, and uh, you try to figure out, okay, can we bring him in? What can we offer him as a bonus, a uh, signing bonus? Um, and so things get really, really interesting. And so that it, I was very surprised to see Sean Payton uh, quoted uh, and be kind of just okay with that because that, that is, I don't, I, it's, it's weird because you kind of, there are times where you forget that it is illegal, uh, you know, because right. it's, because people, it is kind of so common that you just kind of forget that it's, it's not part of the rules. Um, it, technically it is breaking the rules, but um, I, I don't know. I, it, I'm eager to see how, what comes from this because it, it's uh, it, it's something that every team basically does to get a to get a leg up. But with Tommy Stevens, um, you know he he's not he, when you watch Scott him as a quarterback, it's hard to get really excited. Um, now he's a big athlete, um, and you see arm strength not a question mark. He passes the eye test. He looks right out of central casting when he walks off the bus. Big, physical, strong, strapping guy, um, and he moves really well. Tremendous athlete for that size. But when you see him actually throw the football on the field and you watch that part of his game, that's where you just you kind of say, eh, okay, you know, what 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 is this guy seeing? Um, you know, the raw traits are are easy to see: arm power, size, speed. But he has very little feel for reading the defense or managing the pocket. Um, you know, he he was part of a zone read offense at Mississippi State and that Joe Moorhead scheme. And uh, the best asset that he offered was the athleticism, where uh, he could tuck and run, and you know he would get chunk yards. But as a passer, you just don't see pocket awareness. Um, yeah, he would uh, he 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 wouldn't recognize where the blitz is coming from. He would rush his process, uh, and you know a lot of that is inexperience because at Penn State he was stuck on the bench behind Trace McSorley, and then he transferred for as a grad transfer for his final year. Uh, didn't have a ton of time in that system, um, and so you know just he's not a guy that's going to anticipate. Um, everything seems to be moving way too fast for him. He's not the most accurate downfield passer. So uh, with Tommy Stevens, he, he is no doubt a project, and I would not surprise me at all if five years from now, uh, you know, he's a tight end on the roster and not a quarterback. That 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 would not be a surprise because he is such a project as a a really toolsy player. You're just not sure what to do with him at this point. Well, Dane, in that sense. You tweeted me right away, said Taysom Hill 2.0, right when they made the pick. And do you feel like he understands who he is? Like that, because Taysom Hill came in and became this like jack of all trades guy, but he wasn't that originally. It's almost like he had to adapt that and he feels like, hey, I could be a starting quarterback in the NFL, even though he went undrafted. I mean, I feel like Tommy at least understands what he is going into this as opposed to. I'm going to be hell-bent, and I'm going to play quarterback, kind of like the determination that Taysom Hill has and seems like could pay off uh, here uh, in maybe uh, maybe one year from now. Yeah, you know what? That's It, it could be tough for some of these guys. Um, you know, and that's uh, – he uh, – Tommy, instead of staying at Penn State and, you know, uh, fighting for the position, he, he, he went somewhere else because he wanted to be the guy at quarterback. And even at Mississippi State, he had to share the role a little bit. And so some guys just aren't ready to give up the dream. But, I mean, he's going to a situation where the, the – 
everything's going to be kind of laid out for him. Uh, everything that Taysom Hill has done, uh, you know, with that that coaching staff and that system, everything is kind of laid out. This is what you, if you want to be a, a household name, someone that defenses are going to have to game plan for you specifically, um, you know, you're, you might not be Drew Brees and you have to accept that. But what you can be and what your traits, what you, what you can offer, that's still something that can help your team win games and something that can be a, a weapon. And so, uh, you know, I just talked about Adam Troutman, how he went to Dayton and said, you know what, I just want to play football. And so he voluntarily went to the coaches and said, hey, yeah, I've always been a quarterback, but let's try this tight end thing. And, you know, obviously that's worked out well for him. So, you know, there's plenty of examples of quarterbacks both way who some didn't want to give up the dream and that maybe a little bit of stubbornness maybe hurt them a little bit but I think for a Tommy Stevens everything's right there in front of him with his coaching staff that offense the the path to being a might not be what he grew up dreaming of being but he still be a weapon in the NFL all right Dane the uh, Saints had 13 undrafted free agents Um, one of the things that stood out to me looking at the list and it's something that I've come to learn over the last five years with Jeff Ireland running the draft, the Saints very much adhere to their prototypes on their size, speed. And one of the things that immediately stood out to me on this undrafted list, they have two corners, uh, Keith Washington Jr. from West Virginia uh, and Tino Ellis from Maryland. Both of them 6'1", tall guys. That fits the Saints' prototypes uh, at that position that they believe in. And before we get into the list, I just wanted to ask you about prototypes real quick. How many teams have this? Is it, is it, is it something that everybody has to some degree, or are there certain teams that, that go on the parcels prototype list or whatever, and, and try not to veer off of it in their grading process, or they downgrade a player because he doesn't fit their prototype. Uh, I'm just curious to know how common that is. Yeah, I mean, I think every team has their preferred, uh, what they're looking for. And it's sometimes it's as easy as the measurables in terms of length, in terms of size. Um, sometimes it's, you know, we get a little more specific at each position um, in terms of what they offer, where their strengths as a quarterback. Um, and so each team, and that's why I think a lot of fans would be surprised how, you know, because I, I did a top 300 draft board and, um, you know, I, I scout all these players and, you know, try to best explain where they would fit best. But most teams, their draft boards are like 150 players, 180 mm-hmm. players. Uh, some are 120. Uh, the Patriots are notorious for having very uh, small draft boards. And that just goes to, uh, you know, being able to eliminate players based off of what they're looking for. Uh, the prototype of what, what they want for uh, their certain position fits and uh, scheme fits. And whether, again, the, sometimes it's as easy as having 32-inch arms at, for being a corner or 35-inch arms for being an offensive tackle. But sometimes it's a little more specific uh, in terms of uh, being, you know, corners that have ball production that can uh, turn, find the ball, and, and make plays on it. Um, you know, that it's, sometimes it's a little more specific with each position. Sometimes it just comes down to the, to the raw measurables. So I think every team has their own set of criteria. It's just some are a little more, uh, a little more strict with what they're looking for, and that's 
uh, really constricts the the draft pool of guys that they would draft and where other teams are a little more open to uh, some players that maybe not be a perfect fit but there's at least a few things that that are on their list that they'd be open to. So Saints are definitely on that list. And I think, yeah, you pointed out the two corners. That makes a ton of sense uh, with what they're looking for. Um, you know, it's, you look at Seattle and what they've done with their corners. Um, and I think it may be sometimes it's more of a coaching thing than anything. Um, you know, when certain coaches go to a certain uh, c- certain teams, they, they want a coach or they want a certain type of player uh, for their system. And so that's that's communicated to the front office. And that's where the front office and the coaches have to work hand in hand to make sure they're drafting for what the coaches want. And so it's it's a very collaborative process that I think we see the really good teams uh, you know, teams like the Saints, teams like the Ravens, uh, the Patriots, uh, the Seahawks, the, 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 the teams that where the coaches in the front office, they work really well together to understand, uh, you know, what the what the scouts need to be looking for, for what the coaches want to coach and what fits best for that scheme. That, that's such a big, important part of the process that a lot of teams, the teams that don't do well on Sundays, you can a lot of times point to their coach front office relationship in the draft and usually that's something where there might be some something lacking that affects wins losses on Sundays. Dane, as far as some of these undrafted guys that the Saints sign, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I'm sure it's not going to be the easiest path for those guys. And even for the team, because so much so when you have rookie camp, some of these guys get cut and you sign a, a guy who came in on a tryout. So it's probably a little bit more of a gamble on their part than it will be normally. But who are maybe... Uh, maybe one or two guys that you've scouted that the Saints have signed that you think, hmm, all right, this guy has a trait that maybe the Saints uh, might want to use. Yeah, definitely a few. Uh, Juwan Johnson um, out of Oregon, who just a big, uh, good athlete, 6'4", 230, long arms, uh, spent his first four years at Penn State, uh, then kind of fell out of favor there, goes to Oregon, missed some time due to injuries. But when he was on the field, he was making plays. Uh, he's just that big, imposing target and might not be the best route runner. Um, you know, you have to be okay with just, uh, you know, he has to be the right frame of mind to make an NFL team, but he is an impressive athlete for that size. And so I think there there's some upside there for, uh, you know, if he's willing to buy in to, you know, what you're coaching, I, I think there might be something there. Um, sticking at receiver, uh, Callaway from Tennessee just from the uh, special teams aspect, he had three punt returns for touchdowns uh, at Tennessee. And so that's something where when you watch him as a receiver, one thing, you know, he would struggle to consistently make himself available. But as a punt returner, that's something that could help him uh, earn a roster spot. And so eager to see if he's able to uh, make some inroads there in New Orleans. Uh, Joe Bocci from Michigan State, a little surprised he went undrafted. Uh, He had the... Uh, he was ruled ineligible the final five games of the year because he tested positive for a supplement, um, which was very surprising because he's kind of your um, uh, you know overlooked guy who uh, is always overachieving um, and a pretty decent athlete for 6'1", 230, uh, really productive. Uh, he was over 100 tackles as a sophomore and junior and would have as a senior if not for the, the five-game suspension. So you just have an intense competitor uh, tough. Uh, he's instinctive. Um, not not the best athlete. He's a little stiff, 
but uh, he's he's got enough where I think he could stick. If Joe Bocci gets a chance, he's one of those situations where he, he might not necessarily be a huge standout in camp, but if he makes a roster and he's able to, say, get on the field due to an injury, he might not give that job back. So Bocci's an interesting one. And then Calvin Throckmorton, uh, who was a borderline draft pick, um, not not the best athlete, but the versatility that he had at Oregon playing, he played right tackle primarily, but he also had starts at left tackle. He had starts at guard. He had starts at center. Um, play, he was a four-year starter, has seen a lot of football. So Calvin Throckmorton, just from the versatility aspect, um, again, not not the, the best athlete, not going to just simply overpower guys, but he's smart, he's tough, and that versatility, I think, is a key with Throckmorton, that could give him a little bit of an edge uh, if he's on maybe the roster bubble. Uh, maybe something that could give him an edge over a guy that's maybe a guard-only type of player. So Throckmorton, I think, is definitely a player to watch. All right, let's 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 turn our attention, Dane, real quick as we wrap up uh, to the 2021 draft. Um, it's never too early to look ahead, uh, especially, especially here in football-mad Louisiana. Obviously, LSU had a record number of picks last year uh, in this past draft. I know they're going to have some guys on your board, but overall, before we get into the LSU guys, just overall, how does this early look at 2021 compare to the class we just saw? I know we we had a deep group of receivers in, in this class. Uh, just to kind of peek ahead overall to, to what we're looking at next year. Yeah, I think it's eerily similar in some ways. Um, we had six receivers drafted first round uh, this past year, and in my mock draft, I had seven receivers off the board in the first 32 picks, um, headlined by Jamar Chase, who um, I had <laughs> I gave him to the Bengals. I'm fist pumping right now. I'm that fist been- pumping for just. <laughs> Just as a disclaimer, as an LSU alum and a Rummel alum with Jamar Chase, I'm go. just pumping right now. That would just be I mean, fun to watch. I mean, I think the only people that would not be fist pumping would be the rest of the AFC North because that would just be a fun thing to watch, to reunite Burrow and Chase. Um, I mean, what a season Chase had. Uh, now, obviously, those that production is going to go down a little bit. Um, you know, He's a really good player, but he's – probably not going to be able to match what he did last year and um you know with so much turnover um especially at the quarterback position um so you know there will be a little bit of a drop off but i mean let's let's not kid ourselves this guy is a big time talent and um as good as the receivers were in this past draft we didn't have a top 10 receiver um and uh i think that'll change next year with chase and but there's some really good receivers. Clemson's got a kid, Justin Ross, who's really talented. And, uh, of course, Alabama. They had two first-round receivers last year. They could have two more this year with Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. Um, and we could see uh, – you know, we didn't have a tight end drafted in the top well, top 40. Uh, I don't know Cole Komet was just outside the top 40, I think. So this year um, I had three tight ends in my way-too-early mock. So that would be a little bit of a change-up. Um, we have, and of course, the headliners of the quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence at the top, Justin Fields from Ohio State, uh, the season that he had. As, as If he continues to develop and takes another step as a junior, Justin Fields is going to be uh, in that conversation, be one of the first quarterbacks, first players drafted. Uh, Penny Sewell from Oregon might be this year's Chase Young, just that player that's just way too good uh, to pass up. You know, if uh, whoever has that, Say the quarterback goes one, and maybe even a quarterback two, but that, to be the, the Chase Young at this time last year was the clear favorite to be the first non-quarterback drafted. That turned out to to be the truth. 
at this time, uh, projecting the next April, Sewell's the early favorite to be the first non-quarterback drafted uh, at left tackle. So we'll see if that happens to uh, play out as well. Dane, one more, and then we'll let you run. You've earned uh, more beer for me. I feel like I've said I've owed you this for like a year now. And because if there is a Manning Passing Academy, I'm going to have to turn back to you for more advice. Which quarterbacks am I talking to? So uh, just just put it on my tab. But uh, as far as the LSU guys, this pass draft which ones do you feel like made themselves good fits I'll just throw two out there myself since we I've watched so many of them uh, through the last couple of years I think Patrick Queen with the Ravens and I think uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire with the Chiefs I think that might actually end up being the best pick outside of say Burrow to the Bengals I think Clyde Edwards Alaire to the Chiefs is like that's like stealing for Kansas City yeah I mean I I, I think you took the two that I would have said just because that's Edwards Alaire in that offense I mean my comp for him all through the process was Brian Westbrook that that's who I saw when I watched Clyde Edwards Alaire because of what he could do out of the backfield short in stature but still breaking tackles creating with the ball in his hands and then, of course, who drafts him? Andy Reid gets his new and maybe even improved version of a Brian Westbrook. It just kind of seems unfair. Uh, and so just love that fit. Just a lot of fun. And then Patrick Queen, shocked that uh, you know he fell as far as he did. He's one of the youngest players in the draft, so explosive. And it seemed like the more football he played, the more that light bulb just uh, illuminated more and more and more. And so um, the Ravens have just, they, they have, they're masters at just letting good players fall to them. Um, uh, that that was something that uh, really stood out. I think looking at other LSU players, I think Damian Lewis going to Seattle is a opportunity for him to see the field early. Um, and, you know, Lewis isn't the most uh, athletic guy. I mean, he's, he's not someone you want consistently uh, on the move. But he will dominate you in his square. His if you get in his territory, uh, he will overpower you. And so I think Damian Lewis has a chance to uh, carve out a uh, nice little career in Seattle with uh, because of their need on the offensive line, and then also uh, just uh, the, the strengths that he offers. And then one more, uh, going back to the first round, Justin Jefferson. Um, I was talking to one of my guys in in Minnesota. And they were they were making a lot of calls. They wanted to trade up because they they were looking to find that Stephon Diggs replacement. And so they were calling to teams in the teens, looking for uh, to trade up for Judy or one of those top receivers, uh, even Jefferson. And because they in their minds, they never thought Jefferson was getting past 21 in Philadelphia. They they kind of were, and when none of those trade offers worked out, they kind of just said, okay, you know what, we'll stay here and uh, we'll, we'll, you know, maybe go corner here um, and, you know, just kind of reassess their options. And then Rager, Jalen Rager goes 21 and Jefferson falls in their laps at 22. They were not expecting that at all. And they were just like, okay, you know, we, we've got our guy. This is, you know, we did not expect this to happen. It's kind of like the Cowboys. They were ready to take Clavion Chase on. Um, they, that's the guy they wanted. That that was the number one player on their board, their quote unquote realistic board. Um, they were crossing their fingers the entire the entire time, hoping Chase someone fall to them, and then CD Lamb falls to them, and they decided they couldn't pass. It was kind of similar with the Vikings. Jefferson falls in their laps, and he's. We'll see how much he plays outside. We know you know he was primarily an inside receiver, but eager to watch how how he's going to work out in that that Vikings offensive system. But yeah, he's that that's definitely has a has a chance to be one of the better fits. I think we're going to see him make um, an instant. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year we're talking about him 
you know, 65 catches, 900 yards, eight touchdowns. I think he has that type of ability as a rookie. Well, Dane, get the inflatable pool. Go take a rest. <laughs> sort of vacation in your backyard. You deserve it. Uh, much appreciated jumping on the Duncan Holder podcast. Incredible work. Uh, of course, you can follow him. He'll be doing all his work throughout the season. And, of course, in draft time, there's no one better. Dane, really appreciate you jumping on educating Jeff and I, educating our fan base down here in New Orleans. Much appreciated, my friend. Of course. Anytime, guys. I appreciate it. You got it. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast. Again, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Get your 40% off your first year annual subscription or Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can go subscribe to all that. So I want to thank Dane again. I want to thank our awesome producer, Danielle. And of course, for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us once again on the Duncan Holder Podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.